Welcome, witches and other cottage folk. It is the night of Monday, June 19th, and pre-dawn Tuesday morning, June 20th, 2023. And this is Season 4, Episode 5 of The Cottage Witch, Midsummer Night Magic, with some spellwork intentions for prosperity and an herbal tower nature craft, too. You are entering the deepening shadows and misty hillsides and valleys of the northern Ozarks. Our cottage clings to earth beneath millions of what seem to be slowly rotating stars and the tiniest first crescent of a waxing new moon. We're not far at all from Frog Pond and its amphibious choir, joined now and again by a small pack of howling or barking coyotes off in the much farther distance. Look around and listen too. You may hear the plaintive cry of a lone owl or the flapping wings of a circling nighthawk. Certainly acorn-sized night fairies sneak and scurry beneath the brush and through the willow leaves while bats and field mice seek a tasty nighttime snack. Mothers and fathers have just finished reading bedtime stories while a few night watchmen, many video gamers, and a gigger or two, as well as our own fire drake, are still at work and at play. This night we are seated down in the yard, below and in front of the porch, at the picnic table. It's covered with books, notebooks, pens, and washi tape, and illuminated by lantern light and the glow of a laptop screen, as well as some candles and a flashlight. Have a seat here on the bench beside me. We have a whole tall thermos of caramel pecan coffee and some brownies to share as we enjoy a visit together, you and me, Hester Makepeace, the Night Witch. Yes, we are definitely recording at night, and that chirping sound you hear are the frogs. Here at the cottage, the baby chicks are now six-week-old adolescents and have tripled or even quadrupled their size. They are big kids now, but only about one-third the size of the adult hens and massive rooster who live in the coop right next to their smaller coop in Hen Run. But they are living outside 24-7 now and are literally about eight feet away from where I'm sitting now. And I spend a good portion of my day right here at this very picnic table, riding beneath the shade of Caroline's now 30-foot tall black walnut tree. It was only about 8 or 10 feet tall when last she sat in its shade. On Wednesday, tomorrow, Button and I and also Moss and Charlotte will be traveling to St. Louis for Caroline's annual birthday celebration. She would be 35 this year, and we chose Midsummer Night to go see Shakespeare in the Park's performance of Twelfth Night and to tell stories and remembrances of our own lost girl and fairy sprite as we eat Emo's pizza and Ted Drew's frozen custard concretes in Shakespeare Glen. We'll be on blankets and lawn chairs beneath the stars, nestled in between the huge St. Louis Art Museum and the even more vast St. Louis Zoo, both very fancy leftovers from the 1904 World's Fair. 
and a convergence of Caroline's most favorite locations in all the world. All three venues are amazing and free, just like Caroline and her idea of the best birthday celebrations every year since she turned 13. Oh, and Button has healed enough to no longer require a wheelchair after the surgery on his feet, so he's going to be able to walk right into the Glen too. For us, Shakespeare in the Park is the very best way to celebrate Midsummer Night, but there are so many other ways too. So what exactly is Midsummer, or Letha, as Wiccans and Pagans also call it? For me, and many people, it is the celebration of the summer solstice, where the sun is at its highest point in Earth's northern hemisphere, which, by the way, means that in Australia and all lands south of the equator, the sun is at their lowest point in the sky and it's the winter solstice there. The seasons are exactly opposed between Earth's two hemispheres, remember. But here, in the very middle of the United States, at 9.57 a.m. Central Time, the sun will reach its zenith, and the solstice will occur. If you're in the U.K., make your way to Stonehenge, if at all possible, which will be free access on only this day of the year as it is believed to be a site of astrological worship. Many, many pagans will gather there this year, too, between 7 p.m. British time tonight, Tuesday the 20th, for sunset, and 8 a.m. Wednesday the 21st for the magical sunrise that morning. By the way, the sun's rising directly behind the heel stone. The entrance to the ancient stone circle sends its rays flowing directly into the circle center, filling the monument with light. The event will be live streamed on the official English Heritage YouTube channel, so we can watch it here in the United States too, but check the time frame or watch it after the fact. In the mid to late 90s, I walked amongst the stones myself more than once as I traveled to Europe and even Australia at various times with groups of my high school students. Back then, we could stand amidst the stones still and touch them and feel a real part of them. But they're roped off now to protect the site, except on this one day of the year when folk may walk amidst them again and touch the far distant past on this magical night and morning. But as far as I'm concerned, midsummer is not just that one moment of sunrise, although that clearly is a big moment. It's really a week-long celebration of the very middle of the summer season. And many people, including most Scandinavians, celebrated on June 24th every year instead of the movable date of the summer solstice, on either June 20th or 21st. No matter the day or date you choose to celebrate, this whole week, right now, is midsummer to those early grain harvests on Lamas or Lunasa that are celebrated on August 1st. Crops are now well underway. 
Spring is for planting, fall is for harvesting, and summer is all about growing and blossoming, watering and nurturing and tending to ourselves, each other, our land, and our world. It's for celebrating all the goodness and abundance of life, fertility, good fortune, prosperity, nature's blessings, and the love of each other. Drink beer, vodka, or cool herbal tea. Decorate and or dance around a maypole, a quintessential phallic symbol of fertility and pleasure. Dress up as the green man aspect of the pagan god. Tuck leaves or ferns in your hair or around the sills of windows and doors. Oak trees are often at the center of midsummer celebrations, but so are many other trees too. Walk in the woods, identify your own trees, and look up their magical associations. Modern druids are indeed gathering at Stonehenge, but you can be just as druidic hanging out in your own backyard. Stay up all night on Midsummer's Eve to welcome the sunrise and celebrate the fairies as their world is very close by right now. But maybe wear a flower crown, too, to keep fae mischief at bay. Build bonfires and have dancing. From Beltane through Lunasa, outdoor sexy times are good, too. Make sure it's on your own land. It's private. It's not illegal. You're adult. There are a few rules about that. But your activities could absolutely encourage the land's fertility, too. This is what Midsummer is all about. You can enjoy night magic all year long, but it's so easy in the summertime. Take back the night, explore the night, harness the night for magical intentions. Whether you're in an urban setting or the country or a suburban setting, it's all fine. You can find the green spaces. You can find the quiet, the nature in between the buildings. It's there. I've lived in all three settings. I've always been able to find the magic wherever I am. You can too. I promise you. I promise you. Like many kinds of cottage witchery, the things we do with our witchy hearts and minds do seem to fall into two overall categories. One is passive, just mostly observational and spiritual. It's about being present and a part of the turning of the wheel of the year, noticing solstices and equinoxes, just believing in the potentiality of the fae seeing the wonder and awe and mythic grandiosity in the stars and planets, the play of air and fire and water, the abundance of this earth and of all the earths and all of the heavens, the very vastness and depth of life itself in all of its shapes and locations and times. That is magic and science and alchemy, and I'm down for all of it. The other kind of cottage witchery is active and practical, useful or traditional, intentionally focused activity. 
It's when we stir a bit of sage into our veggie soup for a little clarity and maybe some soul cleansing too. When we light a candle for a friend who is ill or struggling or make just the right kind of tea for a teenager who is worried or anxious. It's not really medicine, but it is a healing practice. We're doing something, some activity, cooking, cleansing, sending out the light of a candle flame into the universe with intention. Does it really help? Yes, I think so. I've seen results. I've recorded them. And sometimes, especially in the summer, I experience both types of these witchy, magical practices at night. You can too. Night magic can mean dark magic, but it certainly doesn't have to. Dark magic or black magic is sometimes, often, understood to be rooted in evil, selfish, hateful magic, including necromancy and demonic magic. Do such things really exist? I haven't seen it, but I am assured that people really do practice these dark arts. This is not at all what I mean when I talk about night magic. Not at all. Although for me, night magic is practiced in the dark for a wide variety of reasons but it certainly doesn't have to be evil, selfish, or hateful. And for me, it's not. On the other hand, you probably understand just as well as I do that other readily acceptable practices are clearly night-oriented. Moon magic, candle magic, sky-clad practices, raising mystical energies, Halloween or Samhain work, shadow work, creating sacred space, sex magic, spells to become unseen by someone, communing with the dead or ghosts or spirit guides or ancestors, rituals for saying goodbye and farewell, tapping into the collective unconscious of the whole world, or delving into your own personal subconscious. Automatic writing, especially if it's too dark to see the words you're writing, is perfect for night work. Or if you're typing, automatic typing, if you can darken your laptop screen or turn the computer monitor off completely as you type away, are again perfect or at least really interesting choices for night magic work. When I want to draw on cosmic, celestial, universal, music of the spheres kind of energy, I work at night. When I want to work skyclad, it doesn't happen a lot, but if I have issues of personal body attunement or acceptance or some really serious soul deep drawing down the moon to do, and it's summertime, after midnight, then I'm out in the pool at the edge of my very rural property. And I'm sometimes skyclad. I don't do it often, but it restores my soul. It is some deeply personal, powerful, child of the universe sort of magic. Like I said, I don't do it often, but I'm sure I'm not yet done with it either. This is very profound night magic. And so much of this after dark witch work is especially strong and powerful.
The other type of night magic is allowing yourself to thin out, to broaden, to float on night breezes, and to consciously become one with the night sky, the universe, all of the thousands of galaxies, even those millions, billions of light years away, becoming one with the unfathomable greatness of all, all that is nature and the supernatural, both sides of the veil coexisting liminally, side by side, sometimes felt but rarely seen. But there's something about the night that helps thin the veil between these worlds. Want to get more active in the night? I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last summer, for that's when I discovered and began Maya Toll's journey into the night school. I'm about to start the second semester this summer. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's really a sort of workbook for nighttime nature and spiritual philosophical activities. I also have and use the audiobook on my cell phone. It's very hard to read in the dark. It's quite magical, however, to listen and then pause to listen to the natural night music of insects, rustling leaves, singing frogs, and snoring dogs, and then listen to Maya some more. The night school is subtitled Lessons in Moonlight, Magic, and the Mysteries of Being Human, and it's apt absolutely spot on. It's the perfect title, The Night School. Lessons in Moonlight, Magic, and the Mysteries of Being Human. The first semester is a magical path into the night world. It's about using your senses, your sight, and your hearing, and your sense of smell in the darkness. The second semester seems to offer a much more mystical, divinatory experience, I'll keep you posted as the summer progresses. I have the journal and the cards too, but all you really need is the main book. I get both the kind to hold in your hand and read in the light and the kind to listen to in the dark if you want the strongest experience. It's all couched or bundled into a magical academy sort of format, which is fun too. By the way, this is not a commercial. I'm not getting paid for this endorsement in any way. I just want you to consider attending the night school this summer too, with or without Maya Toll. In all honesty, I think you could create your own night school. You could come up with your own activities to enhance your experience of the night and the universe. Open your senses and yourself to the music of the night. It can be in an urban or suburban setting. You don't have to live in the back of beyond. Do be safe, but know that night magic is available everywhere on earth. Tomorrow will be the shortest night of the year, and I think the very densest. All that magic is compacted into just eight sweet hours. Don't miss it. But if you do, that next night is only two or three minutes longer. It'll be so sweet too. You really should experience the sacredness of the night. If it's safe to do so, give it a try.
Oh my goddess, that's dawn over in the eastern sky. I just turned my flashlight off and turned the lantern down and I can still read the page. Well, our night sounds are definitely fading as the sunrise is gathering momentum. Let's take a quick break right here in the middle and then on the back side of that break we'll talk about spell work and a nature craft that you can do too this summer. Good morning! Well, Felix the rooster is awake. I'm sure you're going to hear him in a minute or two. He's talking. I'm going to take a moment to talk to you about a life change that I have noticed in just the last couple months. There he is. I have begun truly manifesting some of my feelings. I am experiencing deep-seated wisdom and understanding in the cards, in wildlife visitations, in thoughts and feelings that I have seemingly out of the blue. Maybe I am truly coming into my witchy powers like never before. I won't completely discount that possibility, but I think this happens to all of us maybe, or many of us, when we finally just slow down. Crone energy is that of a slower pace. Maybe not a turtle's pace, but also not the frenzy that was so often part of our earlier lives. A slower pace allows us to savor and explore the moments that we have, to think about them. We no longer spend so much time as a human doing, and finally, we get to just be a human being. This is such a good life, such a good life, an introspective one, and I recommend it highly. So let's talk about doing and thinking as we do with our Krona energy. There are people who live around me in the back of beyond on their own homesteads and acres of land and sound is carrying very far. So you're going to hear Felix crowing, but you also may hear some cars off in the distance out on the highway. And by highway, I mean an actual paved road, not a gravel one, where one can drive 55 miles per hour. I do not mean an interstate. It's probably 25 miles or more to the nearest interstate highway where one drives 70 miles per hour. We take them all the time, but we have to drive a half hour to get to one. Okay. Um, that aside, let's talk about spell work for prosperity. Summertime is the best time to do some spell work, welcoming abundance and prosperity into your life. It's all about the fruitfulness of the earth and life and growing. And so too should your wealth and well-being be about abundance and growing and prosperity. Personally, I have always defined wealth and the idea of richness with being able to pay everybody what I owe each month 
and have enough for food and clothing and household necessities like gas and health care and insurance and some left over for savings and for little joys, a new book, a trip to the movie theater, a weekend at a convention or a week or two traveling across the country every year or two. In my mind, that's wealth. And Button and I just got to experience it for about four to six months this last year. And it is worth focusing some intentions on. It's been kind of a fun ride. We don't need everything. We really don't. But we do need and deserve a solid, comfortable, fairly reliable life. With some joy sprinkled through the days. And here are a few ways to weave these intentions into your magical practices too. I'm using Helga Hedgewalker's Color of Magic spell once again. I like the meditation involved in that coloring. And I like the symbols she's got going on. She uses the astrological symbol for Taurus. Ooh, which just sings to me because that's my sign. And my daughter Charlotte. It's the sign of abundance, fertility, physical comforts, and material possessions. She uses another of my very favorite symbols too, the yin-yang, representing the balance and motion of all dichotomies or seemingly oppositional forces. Think light and dark, male and female, urban and rural, good and evil, youth and old age. The symbol is a circle with two waves, one black and one white, constantly in motion. And inside the white wave is a small circle of black, and a very small circle of white is inside the black wave. This is the fluidity of all things. Almost every young person has moments of wisdom, and every elder has silly, youthful moments. Almost all males have a feminine side, and females have their masculine qualities too. Winter will have some warm days, and summer a few cold and stormy ones. Having or harvesting abundance means using all the resources of our world in balance. We can all find nature in an urban landscape if we look for it, and the culture and society of urban life also exists in small, far-flung communities. Other symbols of plenty include the cornucopia, literally the horn of plenty, golden grain, golden coins, all coins are money in fact, as well as gems, jewels, a sweet comfortable house, a piggy bank, or an actual bank. I just heard a woodpecker out here. I hope you guys get to hear him too. Colors for prosperity include silver, gold of course, and green, for both its associations with fertility and growing, as well in America, for money itself. Brown is likewise good for the fertility of the earth. You might want to use actual soil or planting in your spell work for prosperity and growth. Red equals courage and taking action and the fire of change. Yellow and orange are similar, but also equate with gold and the sun's energy and growth potential. Norse runes get in on this too. There's Fehu, it looks like kind of an F with its two arms pointing upwards. And it's about livestock and wealth, literally translating into sheep and cattle. Othala looks like a diamond with two legs. And that means home or homeland and heritage and inheritance. Then there's the 
kind of pointy P, which is Wunjo, and it stands for joy and pleasure and comforts. And finally, you have like sort of the less than and greater than sign hooked together, and that's called Jera, and that's about harvest and reward and sort of a whole year's worth of living good, experiencing the good life. You could draw runes on paper and then burn them carefully or carve them with a toothpick into the wax of a candle or a wax melt. It's a great way to release the energy of the runes into the air. And finally, any pictures or personal artifacts of yours that represent wealth and stability, comfort and pleasure or joy to you should be incorporated into your spell work too. I think of my children and our pets and some vacation pictures or artifacts. Christmas ornaments from London, for example, work well for me, as do pictures of happy times at home. I also like to add a cup of wine or other libation that I enjoy and think of as special and perhaps a homemade moon cookie or two, a recipe I found in a Silver Raven Wolf book 20 or 30 years ago. It was incorporated in my very first journal of my very first year and a day spent studying witchcraft traditions. That recipe has evolved for us over the years and is still a favorite for Christmas and Yule, Samhain, and full moons in general. Send me an email to HesterMakePeace at gmail.com if you'd like a copy of the Make Peace version of the Raven Wolf original moon cookie recipe. Oh, and it's almost blackberry time. Those first ones will be ripening in about 10 days, maybe two weeks, but July 1st is almost always my first picking. My summer spell work for abundance also always includes a bowl of my healthy, delicious, and low-calorie blackberry cobbler. It is so good and brings us all such joy here at Make Peace Cottage. For me, blackberries are a perfect symbol of abundance. I have literally thousands already blooming all around the Make Peace land, and I'd be happy to share that recipe with you too. Prosperity, abundance, joy, and life. That's just summer. I cannot believe it, but I have about five, six, seven minutes at the most of content still to go, and I'm cutting a whole story, which is a good one, about an alligator snapping turtle that showed up 10 feet from the cottage porch yesterday afternoon. The dogs went wild. I about had a heart attack. She is a big turtle. And a scary one. Snapping turtles can take off fingers and body parts. I don't know. You can't play with them. It's a good story. And we'll have it in Season 4, Episode 6. It might be titled Animal Wisdom or something. <laughs> we'll see. Right now, though, Charlotte's birthday was last month. She asked for a tower planter this past Christmas, but hadn't gotten one. And I also know she wants to plant herbs at her new house this summer. So I created this craft and put one together for her to have at her house and one for me to have here at the cottage too, because I like the idea so well. I can't grow anything from a seed, but if it's already growing, I can usually help it along to full grown maturity. 
Here's a list of the herbs I included in our towers, the magical correspondences that go along with each one. I also purchased these little wooden leaf-shaped garden tags or signs that I printed on with Sharpie, including the names of each herb and then several of those magical associations. So here's the list. The tower that I purchased from Amazon can hold up to 15 plants, three on each tier, and the tiers are all removable. It's very easy to sort of change them around and put one on the top and another one in the middle and change it up. I think it's also going to be easy to move it into the house in the autumn. I plant herbs every late spring and early summer. I nurture and grow them all summer long into the early fall cook with them and then I let them die in the winter but this year with the tower I'm certain I can bring them in and put them under a grow light and grow them all year long so this is going to save me probably a good $75 herb outlay every springtime now because I'm just going to keep the same guys going and I'm pretty excited about that concept too and cook with fresh herbs all winter long this is a win-win Okay, so the plants I have in there, in no particular order. I have basil, and I label it the witch's herb. It's for protection, astral projection, exorcisms, love, sympathy, wealth, um, and it's a fire element. I also have oregano, or for my British friends, oregano. It aids in astral projection and healing and vitality, also joy and justice. It's for protection against evil. And you can use it in hand fastings. I have some garden sage. It's for self-purification, helps with grief and loss, cleansing, healing, protection. I have parsley, which is great for contacting the dead. And it also increases spirituality, strength, vitality, and passion. Then we have some thyme, T-H-Y-M-E, which attracts fairies, soothes sorrows and emotional pain, brings joy. And it wards against illness and nightmares and brightens one's outlook on life. And probably my favorite herb of all is my friend Rosemary. She's easy to grow. She's lush. She'll protect your front door. She's all about healing and cleansing and purification and love. She can also increase your sleep, protection. She can also increase your sleep and give you protection and she removes the negativity from fairies. And the seeds can lower your blood sugar. Then I have some dill. It's for protection from curses and nightmares. It's about all things good fortune and vitality and pleasure. The Old Norse called it dilla, which meant to lull or sing a lullaby to settle children. And it's about joy. It also tastes good. I really like dill, especially in potato salad. I have some catnip too, which is great for working with animals. It's a drug to cats. It's like getting them high and it doesn't hurt them. It's for love, luck, happiness. It's associated with Bast, the Egyptian cat god, and beauty magic. I have some small container tomatoes too. They're great for prosperity, yay, protection, love. They stop negative energy and they're sacred to Venus, Aphrodite, and Hera. Charlotte loves mint. She's a mint freak. So we have several mints. So like I said, it's five tiers tall. I think I said that with three pots or sections on each tier. 
and I bought ours off of Amazon and there are several different versions. I saw some for $36. I think ours were $55. They vary, but they also sort of interlock so they don't fall over. And what I'm really excited about is that I think these can easily be brought in in the fall and nurtured with a grow light and then brought back out next spring. And I don't have to go through this anymore. We have a poll question once again. It's not multiple choice. It's open-ended. And I think maybe only Spotify listeners get it. But if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Google or anywhere else, just feel free to email me at hestermakepeace at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes, I swear and promise. And I'm always at the back of the line myself. So it's all good. Also, we have some poll results from last episode. A whopping 69% of you say your favorite season is autumn. I don't know if any of us witches are very surprised by that. It's a great season and it's got Samhain. Only 2% prefer winter to the other seasons. And I really have to agree with that. The remaining 30% are very evenly split between spring and summer. And you all favor the moon goddess by far. Michelle summed it up by saying that she is just powerful. And again, I agree. And hey, we're winding up this episode. It's one of my longest. It, in fact, may be my longest one ever, but it's okay. I have to give a shout out to Deb, who I met at DICON in Collinsville, Illinois. She had her own merchant booth, and I bought a dice tower shaped like the rabbit siege tower in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, eh, it's okay. It's just cute. Anyway, we had a nice talk and realized we were both witches. So this is my second discovery of a witch in the wild. Hi, Deb. And that's our Midsummer episode. Thank you so much for listening, for giving such lovely reviews, for dropping me emails and being monthly supporters too. Also buying me a cup of coffee. I am so grateful that you all keep coming up to the porch and having a seat and a sip of tea every few weeks. Moss says we're going to make that website a go-to. And I find their confidence refreshing. And thanks everyone for stopping by for a visit with me. Hester Makepeace, the Cottage Witch. Blessed be and happy summer. <laughs>